0: listening to the Come to the Table podcast with your host, Sean McCoy, where each week he invites a guest and welcomes them to the table to discuss any and all topics. First and foremost, Christians are called to love all people, and one of the best ways to love them is to sit down, talk with them, and listen to what they have to say. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Welcome to another episode of the Come to the Table podcast. I'm Sean McCoy, your host, and it's just my honor and privilege to be here yet again, and I'm really... Really excited, I don't know if that's the right word relative to the subject, but but definitely um, enthralled about the idea of having a conversation around this next topic. And so as we look out today, one of the most prominent things in, on the news and in society and conversation, starting way back in one of the most significant events in human history, I should say, or at least in American history with, with 9-11, and the result of the last 16 years as a result of that and the conflict we've we 've been involved in in Iraq and in Afghanistan and and how we have had soldiers and sailors for the last 16 years going over there and serving and serving in areas and, and serving in real combat not not the training exercises not the peacetime military like the one that I served in but but definite combat in the, the struggle with that and we've watched uh, the suffering that has continued to happen and has become very prominent within the society how phrases like PTS and PTSD have become Part of the lexicon and part of what we know about and we hear about soldier suicide and we hear about things like the 22 push-ups a day and and at the same time just the overwhelming way that people have responded on a personal level to those that have served in the military and the out, uh, just the outstanding support that has been out there it's been a very as, as a vet myself again not a combat vet uh just to just to see it and even this last weekend at my niece's graduation at Texas A&M they even asked those of us that had served before to stand and be recognized and that kind of stuff is for veterans of any kind is very humbling to to see that at the same time though that the, that I don't have the same suffering from my my service Don't I shouldn't say have any suffering to be fair with you um, but those that have been through combat and what they go through and we and we see that And so the idea is what do we do about it and the concept that we're talking about today is to have a conversation with a gentleman that I met through a Facebook group. That's right, Facebook, social media can be a good thing. And it's all about how you use it and how it was a, a vetrapreneur group called The Tribe. And um, we had a conversation around business originally. And uh, the conversation was around different skill sets we both had and ideas. And one of the things I really liked about Joey Martinez who we're bringing on is, is one of the things that struck me from the very beginning of our conversation was just his willingness to want to continue to serve Uh, almost to the point where he was wanting to start a nonprofit around his business, wasn't interested in truly, quote-unquote, being rich. That wasn't his objective. His objective was to continue to serve and to help people around that context. And so it becomes very easy when I hear words like that and phrases like that around people, and you know kind of where that heart's coming from, uh, instantly resonated with him. He was in the Navy like I was. He was in San Diego where I was stationed. And when we were just able to have another conversation outside of business and spent uh, quite a bit of time on the phone... And it, and it just, and in my heart, because this is when the podcast was first starting to become an idea, I, it just, there was something in my heart that said, this is the kind of person you want to have on and let him talk about his experience. Because he was very open about what he had gone through and and, and what he had been through during his time, and, and, and more importantly, after, and how and how those struggles and what he had gone through, just very open. And I, so I thought, this is what we need to talk about. How do we deal with suffering? Because it's one of the most divisive parts of our, our faith in general, just society or just the everyday. Where is God in all of this? How can God allow this to happen? What There's no, there's no joy in it. And then how do people react to that and things that they say and how they interact with people that are suffering? And you hear so many stories of well-intended people saying and doing things that don't come across that way. And so I thought well, why not have somebody on let's have somebody on who can talk about it who's very very easy to talk to very and has a just a humble nature about himself and, and just a, a grace and willing to share his struggles and so and so with that the idea behind the, the podcast today is to talk about suffering and talk about what it's like to be a combat vet what it's like to deal with things like post traumatic stress and, and all of those things and and in preparation for this I'm going to put this in the show notes I try to do a little bit of a background on it to try to see what does the Bible say about suffering? Where are some of these aspects? What what can we draw upon? And even whether you're a Christian or not, it might be worth your time to watch. I, I'm going to post a video in the notes. It's from a group called The Bible Project, and it's about the story of Job. And, and it really does a great job, I think, of laying out not even a case. And here's the thing about it. I will say there's no definitive answer that suffering is because you deserve it, or there's, oh, God only gives you what you can handle, or, oh my God, there's, there's going to be a a beauty in this. Uh, I think those are kind of those standard answers that people give, to be fair, um, because they don't know what to say, to be fair. I, I what do you say to somebody who is literally dying inside in front of you, and who is, who's under these, these conditions, and is, is suffering from something, and a lot of times it's for something that they didn't ask for, or they didn't, they didn't, want or bring upon themselves and, and and that kind of thing and so into and the and then to be fair they don't deserve it right they don't who deserves to suffer to begin with all very difficult questions i think and all questions that don't seem to have an answer it's easy to blame god and all that kind of stuff and if and if you do here's part of the idea behind joining the table and and, and is the openness to do so and let's have that conversation and allow for these things to be what they are so with that i'm going to go get joey get a get a hold of him bring him on we're gonna intro all that good stuff, and then we'll and we'll go from there. So hang on, I'll be right back. All right, so we have Joey Martinez on the line. Joey, how are you, my friend?
1: Pretty well, pretty well. Just getting uh, getting rolling here in California. You know, we're a little bit earlier from you guys, but you know, get my bones a rolling, get my body warmed up, and try to have a good Monday.
0: Well, that's a, that's a very good place to do it. That is for sure. I I people used to ask me what my favorite port was, and I used, always used to tell them San Diego for sure.
1: It's a gorgeous place. i'm 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 not mad about being around here. Tell you that much. <laughs>
0: nice. so are you are you originally from uh, Southern California? Is that where you're from originally?
1: Well, uh, the story gets pretty interesting really quick early on in life. was actually born in Stockton and then uh, parents moved to Manteca, bounced around. That's in Oregon, California, in case you know listeners aren't not familiar. Um closer to Sacramento and bounced around that area for a while. Uh, my folks split. My mom went down to San Diego. My dad stayed, uh, Northern California. So we did that long haul every other weekend. It felt like, you know, how wow. it goes, wow. but it was really nice. You know, I got to kind of be a local in San Diego and then kind of be a local in Lemoore, uh, where I ended up going to high school and graduating and enlisting from, uh, right out of, uh, Lemoore, California, where we got the really nice, uh, F-18 Super Hornets. And, uh, you know, join the military from there. So I say I'm from Lemoore and kind of San Diego at the same time.
0: So you got a little no-cal and SoCal blood. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I always like to give a shout out to my old Navy buddy. So Scott Sherman is a, as a good, is, I was a best man in his wedding, and and he's from Manteca actually. So I know that it means. Oh, for real? Yeah, he grew up in Manteca, and I know that it means. That lar- is so awesome, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it,
1: no, all my family's still there.
0: Very cool. So uh, just a shout out. Do you does that name ring a bell, the Sharmans or Scott Sherman? I,
1: Oh no, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not really good with names, but faces, faces are my thing. Oh, he's
0: a good-looking dude, so you, you, you'd remember him if you saw him. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, I, and always, I always laughed about it because Manteca is Spanish for lard, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's, it's just lard. What a great, what a great, uh, you know. There's a little trivia for all you folks out there in case you, now you know what. Uh, there's a town in Northern California called Lard.
1: Exactly. Awesome. And I think it's so awesome because you know what, what's the best type of food group. Oh, but, oh you know, right. I mean, what, especially seriously. during the holiday seasons, right? <laughs> Fried everything.
0: No, for sure. No, I bring it back. Bring it back. If anything should come back, it should be lard. That's for sure. So, so hey, so so it, to help kind of get us started, there's a nice little segue, a little bit about Joey. But I, I have a favorite podcast. You, you may even be aware of it. Uh, it's the Team Never Quit Podcast with Marcus Luttrell and David Rutherford, who are Navy SEALs who use people's never quit experiences to motivate and inspire. And it's one of my. Favors. And so I like to give them a plug out there. So if you're a podcast fan, if you're listening to this, I'd recommend that one as a chance. And so one of the things they do, my friend, to get things kind of going instead of just jumping in is they do a, what they call a mad minute, which I'm uh, taking on and calling a deep dive where we'll do. I got kind of some, some questions for you that aren't in, right or wrong We're just inquisitive questions that I'd like to okay. ask you, and then we'll kind of get started. For sure. All right, buddy. So here's one for you. Do you eat food that's past its expiration date? If it still smells good and tastes, or if it still smells good and looks fine, would you still eat it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. What's
0: the last? What's the last thing you ate? Like how far back?
1: Yeah, last night I ate some lasagna that was probably way beyond its date. Nice, (laughs) but it was delicious.
0: Nice you did a little smell test and like, okay, all right, there we go. Smell
1: test and then I lifted up each layer to make sure there was no growth or anything interesting walking around in there. Nice. There you go. And I, I,
0: I put that out there. I, I kind of figured because, as you know, in the military, some of that stuff goes by the wayside and you're just like, eh, whatever. You know, so it was a little bit of a loaded question, but, yes, uh, awesome. <laughs> I love it. So second, second question, what's the most interesting – oh, okay, I'm sorry, my, my handwriting. Oh, sorry, what's the most interesting documentary – you've ever
1: watched most interesting documentary i've ever watched hmm that's a tough one i watch a lot of documentaries um i think it would have to be man that's this is really tough uh hmm huh
0: What kind of documentary? You guys making
1: it hard. Okay, so I'm going to go with uh, the sake-making factory thing. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's on Netflix. And it's a group of Japanese gentlemen. You know, they have a huge historical background in making uh, sake, or sake, or however you pronounce it. And the whole story behind it is just, like, really not gut-wrenching, but just emotional about the passion of the art of making uh sake and the history of it all and i just fell in love with it and then from there i fell in love with japanese carpentry and so yeah i would say that in the documentary and i don't know the name of it dude but it's it's about sake and it's on netflix (laughs) it it, might actually just be called sake it
0: it (laughs) makes me want to go check it out because that's yeah i mean the japanese have become very passionate about stuff that they do so that that would be definitely oh yeah and the woodworking like you said and all those things the japanese the joints the wood joints that they do
1: yeah the joint. joinery i got like four books now that i I'm, I'm actually trying to get into pretty well that uh it, it just it's it just intriguing the history behind where the joinery comes from the tools how they were how they actually used to make them um the type of uh uh planning methods and and it gets technical but i love it it's just really cool
0: awesome no, that sounds That sounds. you should make a podcast once yeah, because you, right? you, you could. That sounds amazing. I think i think it would be, and that kind of stuff is just intriguing how they, yeah. No, all right, good stuff. All right, next question. What bit of trivia do you know that is interesting, but more or less useless?
1: More or less useless. Uh, Ryan Gosling sits down to pee.
0: Oh, there you go. This is what, yeah. this, folks, is why we do this. This is why we do this right there. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's my favorite answer so far I all these questions, yeah. right? Cuz that you you nailed it, my friend. You just knocked that one on the park. That's So all you Ryan Gosling fans, you can either either as an you can pay tribute and do the same. Exactly. Or, or just feel sorry and say, "Oh, that's, you know." Well,
1: it makes a lot more sense, you know, to me. Uh, do you,
0: so do you, so family-wise, you got daughters and I know you're married. Kid, you ever, yeah, I
1: got a, a wife, a great wife. She's also my home care provider and um my two sons, Adric and Axton, one's five and one's just turned three. The other one's about to turn six, so yeah, so five, uh six, I should just say six
0: and three and the and to your point, it's easier it's easier to say I have girls, a lot of girls in my family, um yeah, and so it just yeah, a lot of times I'm just like, I'm not gonna fight this because it's just that you know I'll never understand the whole lifting the lid thing so what uh, you know, hey when in Rome or just you know pick your battles, all that good stuff that they tell you to do when you're married. Mm-hmm. I would be lying if I said that I don't do the same thing every once in a while. So there you have it. I'm with, I'm with you, Ryan. I'll, I'll 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 take one for you with you with you, buddy. Awesome, awesome. And so the okay. So the next question: How would you describe your personal faith, spirituality, belief system?
1: Uh, personal faith, uh, Christian, but un un unorthodoxed for sure.
0: Okay, very right. all right. And then in terms of and so the next question is: When somebody says christians and christianity Mm -hmm. or her let me let me flip it because actually i I, want to do this a little bit different um in terms of other religions like uh uh, judaism or islam is there one that that impresses you or has made an impression on you and then kind of what is your what is your take on on them like when somebody says a muslim or let's let's pick that one somebody says what do you what do you what do you think about muslims and what is your impression of islam as a religion
1: Uh, my personal experience with Muslims and Islam, uh, is really good. Um, I don't have, I don't have that, that bias towards even the radicalization that a lot of people do. Uh, it's not as much as a big issue for me because I understand where it comes from, much like how Christianity, other religions and theologies have their issues. You can find it in Muslims quite easily, correct, but... (laughs) it uh to me the the vast majority of gentlemen and young ladies and ladies and kids that I've met that practice that faith is just generally uh, welcoming kindness and exactly what you would want to find in anybody that's pursuing a god or a faith um, for the most part now not to say that there aren't uh, most definitively the the concerns you know a lot of people say that there are no concerns and I'm saying well that's like saying cancer isn't a concern when you're at stage four you know that's kind of not the right way to approach it but to say that the the entire corpus or body right is is the totality of its cancer no i i I don't think so so when people talk about the muslim faith you know i bring it up quite quite easily you know i talk about it quite easily i think the the truth behind it once you read the quran uh it's pretty interesting um when you look at the stories and the parallel parallels and the dichotomies of which they talk about um the adventure. There's a lot of adventure in, in all, the, all the religious books. If you like stories, you know, it's very easy to read. So, yeah, no, I think it's it's a good, uh, on its on its whole, of course, much like other faiths, it's a very good foundation for any kind of person, but much like how the ABCs are a foundation for words and letters and, and all the big stuff like, you know, paragraphs and whatnot. Um, I think that that's exactly where... Most faith seekers need to look at the issues that people are seeing, and are kind of bringing to the table and saying, "Hey, what's going on over here?" You know, <laughs> so it gets pretty interesting right away. But that's that's kind of you know that's kind of what I believe.
0: So so in your time, and we're kind of getting a little bit ahead, but this is great. I think it's really great, really great. So did you obviously have? You obviously, don't have a, a macro version or macro understanding of Islam. Did you have a chance to study it at all? Did, was it was that? Is a lot of that opinion based on? It seems like a lot of your interaction on a personal level. Would you kind of extra, extrapolate on that just a tad?
1: Yeah, it would be more of a personal level. Um, I was uh, I was uh, attached to the S T P, which is Shock Trauma Platoon, and Fris, which is the Ford Resuscitative Surgical System. Which doesn't make real real sense when you think about it, but it, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the
0: military, bro. We, yeah,
1: exactly. It's, There's just a, sh- a crap ton of freaking uh, acronyms, and, and we just call it alphabet soup for the most part, <laughs> you know. But so no, yeah, it was a, a, a personal experiences. Um, I, I've never walked into a mosque and asked an imam or you know a, 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 is it a Sikh or a sheik or whatever sheik, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I never asked them, you know, like, hey, what are your fundamental beliefs and the, the pillars of Islam? You know, no, uh, it's more of the interactionary type of experiences with people that were either injured or seeking some form of refuge. So it was it was very humbling in that aspect because people don't talk about the combination of religious beliefs that are in Iraq much um, or the tribes and the sects and the way that it breaks up. Um, and, and, and it gets very diverse and very confusing immediately from one region to the next. Um, not necessarily in the in the set of like the generalities. Of course, it's all called Islam. But much like how we have in our Christian beliefs, you know, the we have Catholics. And if you tell a Catholic he's Christian, just watch out, okay? <laughs> but it's really true. <laughs> uh, and then you have other paradoxes or other parallels like, a, uh, uh, what a, uh, a Lutheran, and all the other different types would practice it differently. Uh, that's really what I've seen. Um, it wasn't a negative, like it's not like a negative connotating uh, type of thing to ask people about their beliefs either in, in, in Iraq, which was very intriguing. Uh, they're very open about it. <laughs> I tell you that much. <laughs> uh, uh, our interpreter, actually, he was Shiite and his wife was Sunni. So if you know the conflict, you know that that's primarily the group, right? right. Um, interesting enough, they're married. They uh, go visit family, and they, they love each other dearly. And, you know, God bless, I hope they're still good. Uh, but this was back in 2006, so who knows? Um, the biggest part, though, was their love. They He didn't mind telling the story about how they met or how they found love, that their parents were, you know— really against it and he also didn't mind telling me that it's it's very dangerous like if he gets caught and he has to show his papers or identification card that he could be killed on the spot and so could his wife simply for being with him and it, the vice versa when he's in her region it's the same and i just was not not shocked because you know i was there for a few months and things kind of it just kind of revealed themselves you know and As the deployment went on, it was just more of a a coincidence because he would talk about our gangs like we have in L.A., you know, the Bloods and the Crips. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially the relationship. I mean, currently, that's really going on. And and, and from my experience, that was the relationship. If you're in the wrong region and you're representing that wrong sect, you know, man, watch out. (laughs) It's not a good day. So, so they
0: must have really loved each other. What a, what a that's a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He was, I mean, he was a really great guy. And as far as you know, as far as I know, anybody that's worked with interpreters that are are locals, uh, you you don't really hear much, uh, but but good things. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. So so let's so we can take a little couple steps back relative to that. All that experience was obviously based on on your your service in the military. So if you could kind of. Start from the beginning and set the table as to your, you know, what you did and all that other good stuff and, and your for history, sure. where you started out and all that and how that all led up to those those experiences?
1: For sure, yeah. Uh, so the, the quick, the quick run through is I joined at 18 under the delayed enlist, uh, enlistment program, <clears throat> signed that contract, and then was sitting around essentially doing the community college thing for about a month. And then got activated that August right after I turned 19 and uh, went to boot camp. And boot camp was great, did the whole uh, enlistment bonus for being a corpsman and wanting to go FMF, which is fleet Marine Force uh, specifically, because at first I wanted to be a Marine. And I wanted to shoot guns and do mixed martial arts and stuff and blow things up and and all this great stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I was with the recruiter, me and my dad were talking to the Marine recruiter and he said, you know, hey, uh, my dad stepped in and said, hey, do you have a medical program or anything like that? Because as a kid, I've always been intrigued in medicine and. The body, anatomy, physiology, biology, and chemistry, and sciences, and he'd find me in just nose deep in the encyclopedia, looking up weird Latin terms and trying to learn and understand things. And so he helped me out. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna bullshit here. He helped me out greatly because I he the the marine guys, you know, spoke up and he goes, "Well, no, we don't. <laughs> we have Corman." And not kidding you, but a second later. The sailor from across the way, the recruiter uh, man, I can't remember his name, uh, Flavio Flores. Yeah, just remembered it. <laughs> Peeks his head right through and says, "Have you ever heard of the Navy corpsman? <laughs> hmm? At the <laughs> Let me tell you about that. Why don't you step in my office? You know the the old recruiter voice. <laughs> oh. And <laughs> and uh, and I'm sitting there, and he's telling me and my dad about what a Navy corpsman is. And so I'm, you know, of course, like I'm like, all right, like you know, what what do I do? Like wipe butt and and you know fill up a pecan, like what is this? I don't want to do that kind of crap, man. I wanted to, you know, have fun and, and and shoot guns and, you know, everything that you see in movies and et cetera. And so he kinda guided me a little bit better too. And my dad really kind of stepped into and I'm so grateful for it because I ended up enlisting as the FMF Corpsman. Boom. Now fast forward a month later I'm graduating from boot camp uh, or two, whatever it is that boot camp was Uh, another few months in core school, uh, and then I ended up getting stationed in San Diego at the Naval Medical Center San Diego, uh, which a lot of people know and are aware of, which is a great learning facility. I got to learn a lot of stuff about the ward, um, which is just the upper levels of nursing, uh, where you get to do fun things like colostomy bag changes Mm -hmm. and literally wiping butt which was amazing you know cuz i signed up to be the FMF gourmet but <laughs> it was great
0: is, this is not combat so real quick um, yeah. what year was that and then what was it like that first time you changed the colostomy bag
1: got you mm-hmm. it was in february 2005 uh, and then so that was north of okay so then come forward to july 2005 and i got uh, i think the first colostomy bag change was a few weeks after that so it must have been in august october whatever the month works out right then and there (laughs) and then six months after i got stationed in san diego i got mapped out to camp pendleton so that was 2005 uh let's see 2006 january is when i transferred to pendleton i think it was bravo company with the first mlg at the time and i think that no 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 it was fssg which is fleet service support group and then they transferred over the title to marine logistics group and the shock trauma platoon right <laughs> is attached to those <laughs> those units uh <laughs> that are deploying forward so as a support uh, when you're when you're a support group and you're forward uh i think they consider it like a direct support group or something like that i'm not no, I'm not too savvy on the technicalities of crap. I just show up and did the job. <laughs> so, deployed in right on Super Bowl, right on Super Bowl uh, between Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, whoever lost because they won. I remember that much. And that was February 5th or 9th or something like that, 2005. And uh, flew out to Bangor, uh, Maine, watched the rest of the game uh had a couple beers then flew out to german no 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 ireland repeated had a couple more beers uh woke up in kuwait and then in kuwait hopped over to iraq and then we were staying there for about a few months uh till i think august september time frame so it was about an 8 month deployment considering also ripping in and out it's a pretty good deployment and when we were there you know that's when i got to work in Al-Qaim, Iraq, which was uh, in the Al-Anbar province, about several miles away from Syria. Um, really interesting areas. Uh, fun stuff goes down. And it's just west of, of Baghdad, essentially. Um, really great place. Great people. Flying in and out of there was gorgeous. Uh, it's not like what you think with the whole, you know, Vietnam era stories and it wasn't, oh, my God, every day we're getting bombarded with things like Afghanistan got to be for some guys. Uh, it was more or less, we just got to be more careful because we're an isolated forward base. And other than that, you know, seeing a bunch of guys coming in and out, um, Marines and sailors and Army guys, it was really great times. Stayed there, and that was 2006, uh, till 2006, yeah, so. 2006, September, got back home and back into San Diego. And,
0: and so the, so when you first, when you, that was your first real in, in combat or in, in country kind of thing where you were, de- mm-hmm. where you deployed, what was it like going over there? On What did you anticipate going over there that you thought you would, you would experience or you were expecting? And then what was completely different relative to? Well,
1: well I'd say, I'd say the initial expectation was, I'm not going to tell anybody what I expected because then they're going to be all worried. So it was Christmas. Like that was my leave days were during Christmas and stuff, right? Like right before January and February when we actually left. And so I was, you know, making all my rounds around family and stuff, starting some tequila bottles. And then that way, when I come home, we finish them off, you know, a little bit of a Mexican tradition with my family. So, uh, ended up, getting really hammered <laughs> but <laughs> it was good times ended up going around just kind of telling people you know that you know this is what's going on i gotta go and i'll be home you know it's a it's this is the expected time frames and 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 these are all my contact informations because uh you know we're get, we already got the work work up or whatever it's called and uh deployment readiness crap squared away and uh the forwarding mailing bases and and all that great stuff, and getting all the paperwork in with the will, uh, testament, power of attorney, and life insurance crap, which was, you know, at the time I was 20, yeah, about to turn 21. And uh, it was an eye-opening experience for sure, you know, towards the paperwork of it all, which sucked. (laughs) And nobody tells you about that when you're signing a contract to enlist. They're not going to tell you, hey, by the way, right before you get to go out there and have a great time, you got to do months of paperwork. Oh no. No, they wouldn't got me.
0: Recruiters never tell you the truth ever. Exactly. <laughs> they don't get paid but to they, tell the truth, that's for sure. It,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody really gets paid to tell the truth, you
0: know. That's <laughs> true. Very true. Very true. So 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 to that, I mean 2005. I mean this is 4 years after 9/11. I mean mm-hmm. you, you knew you knew going over there what kind of environment you were going to. You knew you weren't going to um, you know to do it, just a you know a no, you weren't going to you know Sasebo, Japan. You weren't going to you, know, you weren't staying in San Diego. I mean, you were going over there where things were happening, and and did you exactly? And, and obviously, but you were obviously a hundred percent okay with that. You wanted to do that, yes. And so that's kind of felt. Yeah, like-
1: one I, I was not. In fact, I got really pissed off because I didn't get deployed right after right out of FMF or F, FMSs at the time. No, it's FM, FMTB, so it's like. Um, a handful of our guys got deployed right out of um, class, right out of class, and I had to wait six months. So that that was not like I mean, and during that wait period, I was I was wiping butt, changing colostomy bags, you know. Right. So you go from FMSS school where you're learning the Marine side of it, um, how to support the Marines, and then. You can move forward in a lot more um, specialized training and stuff even from there. But, of course, you have to try out and do the paperwork. And I was just not – I just wanted to go and get out and just get out there and do the job. Like I was just super, super about it. I was really motivated, really wanted to go and and see the world. Um, Everything you're told in training is you're there to, to keep Marines alive. And I'm like, cool, let's go. You know, like, all right. And then people were really like, all right, this kid's ready to go. So I was like, yeah. So that six-month wait period was more or less me trying not to go crazy. Sure. <laughs> and and then when the finally the deployment came up, it was it was what, what I expected for sure. Um, it's not uh, – well, because, of course, the workup and the training and everything. They gave me. So a lot of the parents, though, they think it's trans warfare like World War Two and it's not it's nothing like that it's it's more mount training or um uh, urban whatever you want to call it and uh it's different but again you know the workups the preparation the corpsmen talking to other corpsmen and getting ready to really just save lives because that's what the job is it's not you know taking lives it's saving lives like any corpsman will tell you we don't really we're not in the business of hurting we're in the business of saving and helping which is great you know the business is really good during war so yeah (laughs) there you go um so when i when we first got out there though the expectations were were very much not uh met it it, it's not this fast-paced thing it's not like mash but we do have our fun you know it's it's reality, man. You know, it's days on end of just twiddling your thumbs and hoping nothing happens. Or, you know, somebody with a mortar tube doesn't get too close or some asshole with a rocket, you know, doesn't get too close. Other than that, you're just literally sitting out in an open desert, hoping that nobody gets hurt. And you have the most boring job from January to September, because if not, then then that's that's where all the bad stuff happens. So as a corpsman, I prayed and prayed and prayed for the boring day, you know, where I'm twiddling my thumbs. Or I think at the time there was no such thing as Facebook or MySpace. It was uh, uh, PlayStation games, you know, or Halo, oh, yeah. uh, which is amazing during deployment. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just biding your time, going to the gym, uh, going to the galley. We had the galley. We were blessed. You know, we had a great galley um a lot of guys in the foreign bases they got t-rats uh every other i think it was like every other week or some crap like that so you know we had it it was a great great base you know i i i don't think it was a it wasn't a country club like al-assad just trust me that <laughs> but uh you talk to guys that were in al-assad you know they, it was a little bit more worked up they had d which is the the Air Force's. Uh, galleys that are just gorgeous right let me tell you it's just it's just yummy food and uh they had cool stuff like a coffee bean uh movie theaters they think they even had like a salsa night at a dance club on bass and and where we're at you know it's like no like (laughs) turn your lights off it's nighttime. you're gonna get probably something not great coming your way if you don't turn off that light you know (laughs) turn off that light like looney tunes so it's um it was different, you know, everybody's deployment's different. And you know, mine was medical based. i would learned so much, so much medicine, so much surgical, uh, m- modalities, different surgeries, how to scrub in, how to suture, how to do chest tubes. Um, oh, man, I think one of the cooler ones were uh, one of my HM2s taught me, he was, he was this really great guy. Um, he taught me how to use a gurney strap and make it a traction splint. So when somebody's femur is like snapped in two, essentially, uh, you you use the other leg as its... Um, to set it. Tension. yeah. Oh. And so my, my surgeons were all impressed and they loved it. And, you know, I got to get my hands really in there and uh, hold some army navies, you know, and <laughs> do some good stuff, which was great. Um, I loved that part. And then coming home from it, you know, you're told as a corpsman to sit down essentially and take vital signs. So that didn't really, didn't really go too well. So then after the deployment, I ended up back on the ward, which was great. They wanted me to be an LPO. Uh, I got my FMF pin and I picked up E4 during the deployment whilst doing all the other crap, which is great. You know, everybody tells me that, you know, at least you stayed motivated. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, no problem. <laughs> Turned 21 in combat, which was, you know, wonderful driving or coming back to Germany and then flopping back into San Diego and being on that ward again, you know, time starts churning away and things started coming up. So right away, I knew stuff was happening. I reached out to my LPOs, my my senior enlisted, and you know, we sat down and we had conversations and, and they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, you know, I want to stay in. I want to you know, get my head straight, you know. So they, uh, let me go down to, uh, uh, it's called clinical investigations department and it's a, it's a part of the staff education and training department. So essentially I'm in the training, uh, not pipeline, but in the training aspect of what's going down in the Navy, which is great. You know, I just got off the deployment, got that great, uh, hands-on knowledge and experience for surgical, uh, modalities, T triple C type stuff, um, processing wounds uh, all this great stuff and the, the blessing behind it was that the surgeon i worked with in iraq in al-qaim uh started doing some protocols in our department where we were working and so he he knew me i knew him and i got called in a lot to just oversee some of the most cutting-edge surgical protocols so surgical research at NMCSD, one of the biggest naval medical hospitals on the planet, right? Doing the most cutting edge type of surgeries, looking at, you know, seeing my surgeon I was employed with, learning all this great stuff. And I was just essentially where I wanted to be, you know, Um, learning uh, microsurgery, microvascular surgery, uh, learning different types of uh, independent duty corpsman stuff. We've got to teach them. Uh, how to do their surgical phase, which is you know jugular vein cut downs, uh, making a window to the heart, and doing pericardial synthesis, doing um, all all the big medical stuff that you can do essentially in trauma. Right, loved it. And then I was looking at that, that was about 2007, and I was looking to uh, grow up. You know, I didn't I, I didn't want to go go back to where I was. I didn't I didn't want to stay where I was at either. And I wanted to mature um, medically speaking in a profession, so lab tech school came up and had a great SRB, which is a, a selective reenlistment bonus, which is money. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>, Francis <term, laughs> so, Yeah. 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 Let's not. Let's not. Let's not st- shake the stick that don't need to be poked. Right. Um no, it's it, money.
0: <laughs> it is part. You know. Hey, it happens all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, from there, went to lab tech school. Uh, graduated and it was a great program from George Washington university, uh, which is one of the most prestigious medical schools in, in the United States out there in DC. We did it in San Diego, but Hey, I'm still alumnus. Love it. I love, love the program. Love, love the school. Um, and then went out to El Centro, which was essentially Al Qaim, but on the United States. So it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, um, being back in the desert, uh, 124 degree weather, uh, isolated base, you know, if you've ever been in California and you've been out to an air show, uh, the blue angels train out there. So it was really cool. You know, it wasn't all the way bad, but constant brownness, constant desert, constant isolation will make a mind float, you know? And so things started kind of, you know, going, going South mentally speaking, health wise. And I turned to the sauce, you know, everybody likes like booze. So, uh, yeah, you know, things got a little bit more and more difficult and I didn't really get in trouble. You know, I was, I was always been really responsible. And since I was the only lab tech out there, I created an entire medical laboratory facility, uh, that got CAP certified, Jaco certified, MedIG inspected, all those big acronyms that say this facility is on point and, uh, you know, got married, um, for, a, From there on, my wife was very not about the drink, so I really had to get some help. I wasn't sleeping. Uh, This was 2010 now. Um, Wasn't sleeping, wasn't really uh, being really, uh, what's the word, cohesive with my uh, unit. Uh, Really, really, really isolated. Uh, You would find me in the gym just about every day, though, so I really really turned into a gym rat. I mean, I already was from Iraq and stuff, but more so in El Centro and, uh, just started, I would say being more so self-destructive mentally, uh, thinking, you know, I was the reason why all this stuff happened in the world, uh, why the negativity in the world's going on, uh, why my chain of command doesn't understand, you know, like all this stuff. And, uh, the alcohol wasn't helping most definitely, which was something I didn't even look at, but my wife did, which was great because it ended up essentially saving my life because I guarantee you if I was still drinking that same way, nah, man, that's not survivable. You know, I mean, I'm not a fool to the drink, but that is not good. (laughs) So in 2010, uh, right there in the clinic, talked to my doctor about, uh, PTSD and, uh, she, of course being, being the sweet, sweetest lady you could ever meet spent, I think that first appointment was about three hours with me and we were trying to get to the root of it. I've already had seen her a few times about insomnia. You know, I wasn't really open about the whole experience war experience or whatever you want to call that. Um, so it was difficult. Right. And in the first appointments, she really, really got an understanding of what what I was going through and why. So we really changed uh, what I was doing at the command. Um, I really throttled back on the whole responsibilities. <laughs> Started going to therapy here in San Diego, which is a hundred and I think twenty miles away. Uh, you know, trying to make it work, and things were just not working out. And it's it like I, I at the time. Felt very personal about it you know like this is the world's greatest navy this is the world's greatest medical system not only can i prove it i literally was just working with it you know and nothing was working out the way it was supposed to and the most smallest scale for like either appointment or psychiatrist or psychologist or even counseling and my wife and i you know we sat down and go i told her i was like dude if i can't drink this isn't going to work for me because I don't know what else to do. So then I ended up reaching out to military one source and through military one source, I was able to get out to a a therapist in El Centro, uh, Louis J. Nydorf, which is a great, great guy worked with civilian type of PTSD, uh, worked with uh, PTS or whatever you want to call it. Uh, More of the reintegration of trying to live with, and cope with the diagnosis not not cure it and i think that was the most beneficial therapy that i've ever received since because ever since then it's just a nightmare of trying to get the right help at the right time from the right people <laughs> and even though i'm 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 open about it i'm i'm cordial about it i'm not angry about it anymore but if people were to do the right thing at the right time in the right place things would definitely not have shaked out the way that they did. So this was 2010. Come 2011, March, I had already tra- put in for uh, emergency medical transfer for hardship to NMCSD, which is, you know, a couple or like 100 miles away from El Centro. Um, everything was getting ready to be uh, CAP certified, which is, as far as lab techs know, it's a pretty big deal and i just wanted to get the hell out of there like literally did not care i just knew that if i stayed there another month or something it's gonna get physical you know like the people that i was working with and the chain of command and my personality and my headspace was just like if you were to poke a dog in a cage and and expect him not to do anything and looking back at it you know i am uh, i i'm very glad i didn't do anything physical or Anything damaging to my uh, my career at that time for sure because it, it, it would not have been good. <laughs> so got the uh, the old admiral out there uh, for admiral's call. Uh, he's now the shoot. I think he's the commanding general or commanding admiral of something now. Uh, admiral Faison, and had a great conversation with him at admiral's call uh, about Lamar, because of course, you know, I do my research and found out he was stationed in Lamar, told them about, you know, what's going on a little bit in in this lab and, and here in this, uh, clinic. And, uh, and then, you know, chew, chew the salt, chew the fat with them a little bit. And then I told them about the difficulty for people to get treatment for PTSD. So that was a Thursday, right? And, uh, for everybody knows nobody works on Friday, bro. So right. that next Monday, I have orders, like printed orders to transfer to NMCSD. Me and my wife got zero days travel time, zero money to, tra- uh, to to transfer anything and everything. We packed a U-Haul that we rented in about three hours and then found a place to rent, I think the week before, uh, or no, no, no. It had to have been the same Thursday because let's just say we got a wink, wink, nudge, nudge from the, from the big guy. So, uh, I looked for a place to live immediately. And, uh, that, that literally Thursday we moved just in one day, uh, to start intensive medical treatment at NMCSD. And that was 2011, March 29th. That was the last day I worked. And that was the last day I was able to really serve at full capacity. Um, so, was march 2000 march 29 2011 uh rolled forward a little few months uh had some you know adversity with chain of command you know reporting in they didn't really look at the file they didn't really know i was there for hardship so they thought i was just a lab tech transferring you know Mm -hmm. and uh of course met some some adversity some difficulty some some challenges but they were good you know i learned tremendously from them and uh when my wife and I found out we were pregnant, um, we were more adamant about figuring out how do I stay in the Navy? And so, uh, did the testing, did the advancement, picked up HM2, which is E5 or Sergeant or whatever equivalent, anybody listening, yeah. you know? yeah, exactly. uh, really, 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 uh, didn't enjoy the process either, um again much adversity and ended up having to frock myself and i know that sounds funny but <laughs> yeah, so
0: so frocking is when you get your when you make rank and there it's basically you're adding that you're adding the stripe or it's called frocking f-r-o-c-k just exactly to, uh, just as a uh, as an aside so um yeah he's not yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean it and, sounds funny and, and to your but point <laughs> but to your point it's supposed to be a celebration where you have other people come in and celebrate that by by basically frocking you as a as a positive. Now we would always exactly
1: do, they'd come in and frock me. Right. Yeah,
0: and so and so and so as as most things in the military, you take a positive into a negative, and they would you know they'd beat your arm to death, and they would because they're making sure that your uh, your crow doesn't fly, your stripes don't you don't lose them, and so it's a it's a nice excuse to beat up your buddies for doing well.
1: Exactly, yeah. it's the camaraderie aspect behind exactly what the service was, you know. And to me, it was a big deal because I thought you know here we are, I picked up, I'm gonna be able to stay in. Um, I'm getting, I I hope to God I'm getting better, but who knows, uh, they started me on pills and, uh, different, uh, I don't know if they're not antipsychotics, but they're called psychotropics where, uh, they're serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors. And then some of them are a little bit more different than others. And some of them were antipsychotics that are off label using for, specific type of symptoms that people have within either tbi or ptsd because at the time there wasn't much research on either um a lot of people didn't know that tbi can mask itself as ptsd and vice versa and, and that of uh, nutful full to the patient they're just experiencing the symptoms so it was a, a very big learning grade and at the end of my enlistment you know my wife was pregnant seven months. And, you know, we're told, you know, we're going to be able to keep the uh, uh, medical insurance for several, you know, for the birth and whatever and et cetera. And once I got down in PSD to get my uh, DD-214, I sat down in front of the clerk. I'm wearing my chevrons, right, my my deuce. And uh, she's looking at me and she's looking at my file and going, you know, you're out of uniform. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, I don't see any of this in my, in my computer, what you're wearing. And I go, well, why don't you tell me what you see and we'll go ahead and look through my records that I have and we'll pull up my hard copy that you guys have in the back. And then so she really was very confrontational and I'm sitting there going, all right, like what's going down, you know, something, something ain't sitting right. And then she starts asking me about my ribbons and I go, what about them? You're looking at them, right? She goes, well, it says here that all you have is your GWAT and your good conduct and Essentially, like I just sat there in the Navy for seven years, and I was like, okay, so where's my Iraqi deployment? Where's my uh, e- uh, EGA attachment? Where's my star? You know, Where- where's this stuff? She goes, well, I don't see it, so I don't know why you why you have that on. You know, we're gonna have to talk to my supervisor. And I go, yeah, please do, please do. So she brings her supervisor up, and then in the midst of that, right before he comes in, she goes, it is, it says right here, you never went to Iraq. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It makes complete sense that I'm here for you know intensive treatment for PTSD from you know Iraq." But your computer says I didn't go to Iraq, huh, honey? And so I started talking to her kind of like a kid. Uh, that's usually how you can tell when I'm getting pretty mad because <laughs> I'm trying to remain calm and make a funny situation out of it. And uh, so her supervisor comes up, and we're having this long conversation about how I never went to Iraq and that the records are not there. So I'm looking at the electronic record. They're showing me the screen. I show my hard copies, the signatures, the, you know, all the the things that go with all that stuff. And they're just like, okay, like, well, we can't put all this in right now. So instead of it, now it's not, Oh, well, it's not there. It's a, we don't have the time to put it all in. So you either get your DD 214 today, or you come back in two weeks and i'm like uh, all right so am i gonna get medical insurance if i just you just do whatever you need because my wife's pregnant and he goes yeah like you should be able to get medical insurance for 90 days after your enlistment i was like cool because i don't give a fuck about your paperwork anymore bro so how about we just do this i'll sign whatever it is you put in front of my face but you put that i deployed for sure okay and he goes, yeah, no, 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 that's our bad. And I go, good. Everything else, you just go ahead and whatever you do with that. I got to go make sure I get insurance for my wife that's pregnant. Okay, because in in a, a month or two, there's going to be a baby that I'm responsible for. And he was like, no, you know, we get it. You know, this happens. The electronics records weren't printed or when they were, when they were uh, copied, some of them weren't copied front to back. So a lot of the other pages are missing. And I'm like... Oh my God! What the fuck do you guys do, man? Like, what, what's going on? Oh, and of course, you know, in my brain, it, it's just this huge. At the time, I was I didn't have enough tools to calm down myself. All right, and uh, nor was I not as aggressive as I am now. I'm very passive aggressive now, very calm, very loving. Uh, at the time, when you know, Crest could not only question my integrity, you're making me feel as though I'm not going to be able to walk out this room like I thought <laughs> with my DD two fourteen and make sure my wife and I and my kid that's about to be here are going to be taken care of long enough for either the VA to now take care of me, who's um, at the time I was rated, I think it was 80% disabled. And upon review, they were going to increase it to a hundred percent. And I was in the process of doing social security at the same time because of the hundred percent disability. So all of this is going down simultaneously. And, the only thing I know is don't punch anybody. Okay, just don't hurt anybody. That's all I kept hearing in the back of my head. And, and I'm going, yeah, but it would make things a lot easier. Like you see guys get in trouble and then all of a sudden the command literally bends over backwards to get them what they need. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that because I work really, really hard for what I've earned. And I'm not going to make people question my integrity. Because, and excuse my language, but I act like a little bitch. You know, even if I'm bleeding out, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and bow my head and be like, oh, it was a great time. Love you guys. And bleed out in silence. Like, that's just the way I was raised. That's the way I worked with my Marines. That's the way they knew me. Like, they would come up and ask me to make sure I was all right, you know, (laughs) because I was very quiet, very reserved about my personal um, stuff. You know, like my medical necessity. Their medical necessity, number one priority. But now it's on the other hand. And all these things are crashing in at once and this is like literally uh two days before i get out of the military you know, october 16th is my official out day and that i think fell on like a, a sunday so i'm doing all this paperwork uh on a thursday and friday and so i'm sitting there you know trying to get this stuff make sure because You hear horror stories, you know, like you get out and the VA says, oh, this never happened during service or that never happened during, you know, or all this stuff, you know, goes down and you end up either bankrupt or homeless. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen to me, dude. I've been, you know, here for freaking six months now. I've been talking to the chain of command. I've been talking to the veteran service organizations. I got my social security paperwork in. I got all my paperwork in. The BBD program, which is benefits upon uh, discharge, everything's going great. I'm good. This is going to be great. We're going to have our baby. Awesome. I get out. I find out immediately after I sign the paperwork that because of the coding they put on it, we get zero insurance, and essentially I'm walking out fit for full duty, and there's zero responsibility or negligence upon the Navy's response uh, legal legal side, and. Like literally 35 seconds ago, I'm in intensive treatment, going to like 10 appointments a day, five days a week for PTSD, TBI, neurologic, all this other crap that I have wrong with me, right? And I go from that to zero, nothing. And then they tell me, well, you can go to the VA. So I take all that documentation, the same day, and I go and I fill out all the paperwork. I, I don't remember if I was still in uniform or not but I was super eager to make sure this goes right. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and subtle, I, I, very subtle, super eager about it. Yeah. Gotcha. Go ahead. Exactly.
1: Right. <laughs> super, super duper eager. <laughs> right? Highly motivated. Go, right. Totes, totes, my goats moto. Right. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm doing the paperwork and the guy tells me, you know, here's your prescription for pain management that I can continue because I was on Vicodin at the time and Tordal injections in the Navy. Like, I was getting toradol injections like two grams every other week or something like that just to be functionally moving. And so he gives me the Vicodin prescription. He gives me three months worth to hopefully hold me over while the paperwork gets approved because he saw all the proof, like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of files, right? Because I'm a corpsman. I, I I know the importance of medical documentation, okay? Triplicate homes, right? Yeah, right <laughs> So I show him, and everything starts going right. And he goes, You might want to talk to the DAV. And I go down to talk to the DAV, uh, which is the Disabled American Veterans, uh, Veterans Service Organization. Great guys. And uh, talk to Jesus, which is wonderful because, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Found <laughs> Jesus in the VA. And <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> he's helping me out. And uh, he's telling me, you know, here's what you can expect. Now, this is like October, November. A month goes by, nothing's going through. Another month goes by, this is December, and I got to make not only a mortgage, but a rent payment. And I'm like, well, this is going to dig into not only our savings. I also withdrew my TSP. We had a pretty large cushion because I expected the delay in the benefits, right? I was going to school at the time, just trying to create any kind of means to make sure I can provide for my family. Because the goal wasn't to just sit and die, you know. Uh, even if I'm 100% disabled and I'm on Social Security, the goal was never sit down and die. So I'm going to school, trying to study, and things were not working out right. And uh, made a transfer from business administration to audio engineering at the Art Institute, which just interesting enough paid seven billion dollars back to the United States government for fraud for exactly what, uh, student stuff, you know? And I'm like, wow. So that's, that's an interesting up to date right now type of story. Mm-hmm. But at the time I'm going to their school, uh, you know, talking to the VA, trying to get better, get my evaluations in, um, maintaining my doctor's appointments, getting reevaluated, to increase my percentage because the first percentage came back at 80, which makes no sense because social security just came back and said, lifetime and i was like thank you sir but i kind of yelled at the judge so i mean i kind of expected that so (laughs) it was good good to go (laughs) the judge was really nice (laughs) um so it took everything took its time and at the time we had zero funds we were in the negative using credit card to pay everything the you know um the little breast pumps and uh we were worried about the the bill for uh adric because he was born december 21st uh 2011 And uh, totally worried about how we're going to pay. So literally two weeks before that, we didn't know. But my wife's job that she just got like two months before, three months before, just started covering her like a week before we had Adric. So we had to find that out the hard way. And it was a blessing in disguise. And but for me, there was zero insurances, zero appointments. And from going to 10 appointments a day, uh five or six different doctors 15 different prescriptions to zero for about five months until the va figured it out and then another few months of delay to try to get to the right appointment right doctor and uh everybody was just kind of like what what's going on with this guy so we reached out to semper fi fund and they were able to help us which helped me keep the house i bought right after i got right after i came home from deployment i bought a house and right next to my hometown, Lamorne near Hanford and uh, ended up having to short sell it. I bought it for 175,000 and I short sold it for 35 grand because I had to get out from underneath it before really bad things started happening. But due to the delay of everything, our our little cushion, it was gone. So the Semper Fi fund looked at our our things. We told them what was going down and they gave us a donation of $2,000, which helps us essentially stay uh in a home for the next few months and i tell everybody like that's the whole reason why we didn't we weren't homeless from uh december to uh what was it august because we were able to get that little chunk short sell the house and get into another place so we made that work out we're super duper grateful for semper fi fun and Uh, then the social security stuff started working out. Uh, was going to school, you know, trying to make things work with the GI bill and stuff, but was getting a lot of flack back from the VA saying that if I'm going to school, then I'm not disabled. Well, it's funny because I'm not only using the ADA program to make sure I can go to school, but the social worker at the school, uh, helps me do almost essentially all the work, note taking organizational stuff, uh, because of all the medications and where i was at mentally and physically at the time it was just it was a literal shit show health wise so by the end of it the va goes you're not you're not disabled again so i had to go reapply and that delay is what re- essentially got us to go from almost just right there by the skin of the teeth to we're going bankrupt and as we were going bankrupt boom we can't pay rent so we're going to try and make sure that these people aren't uh, what's the word? Just a or- Not our renters at the time were great, you know, and we didn't want to be that, that couple or those people that mooch. So we told them what was up okay. and oh, we thought squatters
0: you know, like you didn't want to squat or whatever. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't want yeah. to be that, you know? So we told them what was up. They let us end our lease early and we, we were going to go traveling for like two months up and down the coast, visiting family. And it was going to be a great thing instead of just going, you know, we're just, it's just a bankruptcy, We'll be fine, you know, and what ended up happening wasn't that it wasn't just a bankruptcy. So what ended up happening was a bankruptcy happened. We get out of the house. Um, We try to go to the hotel that same night. And the hotel says, your service dog is a a pit bull. We don't have to legally accept you. And I go, ma'am, that's not what the law is. She goes, well, it's 11 p.m. So you tell me what the law is and we'll see if you get a room. And I'm like, great. So I'm going to go across the street. She goes, do that. And we leave, we go across the street. And again, you know, another hotel. And I tell him, you know, hey, up, up the road, they had a problem with my service animal. Do you have an issue with that? And he was like, no, not at all. So we, I start the check-in process. He calls his supervisor. And the supervisor asks, well, is the dog over 70 pounds? And yeah, he's an 85-pound Staffordshire Terrier, not a pit bull, American Staffordshire Terrier. Um, all his documentation says such, right? And they go, no, you should, sorry, bud, but we're not going to give you room. So not just once, but twice, you know, we all know, know the ADA clauses and whatnot, but I'm not trying to create waves. I walk out and I, I'm, I'm like, my head's in my, in my, and right in the fucking dirt. Just going, man, we just left the house. Okay. We have no place to go. These two places said you, you go eat dirt. Um, and I'm just in in the muck already. And I look up and I see this pretty attractive blonde. Okay. Not going to lie. Totally observant and a beautiful golden retriever. Uh, but he's a husky golden retriever. And I, and I stop her, you know, excuse me, miss. Uh, I have a question. She's like, yeah, can I help you? And I'm like, did they give you a problem about your dog? And how much does your dog weigh? And she goes like a hundred pounds. He's a heavy golden retriever. And I'm like, okay. Wow. And so I get in the car. Well, she asks me first, well, are they giving you trouble? I'm like, yeah. And he's a service doc. And she was just, you know, very amicable, very compassionate. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it sucks, whatever. And I get in the truck and I tell my wife this, and she's looking at me and and the, the, the Adrix asleep. And, um, I'm just like, okay, what are we going to do? So I call my mom and she, she lives in Coronado in the, uh, the uh, section eight housing uh right off of orange and she's not allowed to even have guests overnight because then it it puts her at risk for being evicted right and i tell her i was like hey mom you know like this is going down you know like i'm trying to keep my head above water here and uh this is happening and she was like all right well you can't stay here long but you can stay here i'm like all right yeah no problem so i'm floating on her couch And that turns into, uh, like, a day to a month, you know. And (laughs) between that, you know, me and my wife are trying to figure things out. You know, she's holding me responsible because, of course, I'm the man in the relationship. So I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, Still trying to figure out what the VA can do, what veteran service organizations could do. Because at the time, I was still doing the show. Um, The Dubwalk Talk Show already started it. And we were recording out of... Uh, signature record signature signature uh, signature signature records there we go uh out here in claremont and claremont mesa and it's a multi-million dollar recording studio uh, avant um, blink 182 all these great guys have recorded there and so you know I'm, I'm using this all this stuff that we're going through as fuel you know for the show and stuff and uh you know my wife she kind of wanted to go home for a little bit and work things out in her own way and so we split for a couple weeks and uh, at the same time I'm I'm floating on my mom's couch you know I'm trying to trying to figure these things out like what's what's happening you know like we're bankrupt cool we're homeless great um all these veteran service organizations tell us like Oh yeah you know if you would have told us a month before you went homeless we would have been able to help you and i'm like well it's kind of funny how you don't know you're going homeless before you do you know and so You know, I'm trying to keep my sense of humor about it all, and uh, I'm taking walks out with my dog, my service dog in Coronado, and taking pictures, and I just kind of have an epiphany. You know, it's either I'm going to make this happen, or it's not going to. So then I started making phone calls, and phone call after phone call after phone call. I started telling my story, you know, online and on Facebook, and a few of my friends started like a, a GoFundMe thing to help us get into a new place, because... With the bankruptcy, nobody's going to approve you for credit or anything or a house or rent or essentially nothing. And in the same stroke, that's all we actually needed. So amazing, right? Um, and the time frame that, that month went by, I, I had to talk to just about not only every service organization, but the director and the CEO and the person that started the organization. And to find out that they couldn't even do anything, I was really heartbroken. And, and uh, I want to say distraught, but to the point where I'm, I'm questioning things. You know, like, How is it that these organizations are making hundreds of millions of dollars? I know them. They're my friends on Facebook. I've interviewed them. And as this process is occurring, they can't do a thing. And I'm going, so imagine if I'm just Joe Schmuck and Tally Random. What's the likelihood of this fucking organization doing shit for me? More than more than likely not a damn thing. So then why are they making millions of dollars off of guys like me and, and people like my wife that are 100 percent disabled? Uh, they're homeless. They're bankrupt. Uh, their wife's their home care provider. And oh, P.S., they just found out they're having another kid. So you go ahead and tell me what veteran service organization you donate to. And I'm going to say, well, where's the proof that it works? You know, to everybody. Like, there's nobody on that list that I didn't call. Um, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> so it was a very intriguing time frame between, God, this is 2013 to 2014 uh, before we got into a stable house out here in Escondido. And as the months go by, I'm sorry, as soon as we get into the house, we're paying, you know, cash. Like, it's not, not necessarily – what's the word I want to say here? It's – it's we're, we signed a document, but it's more like a promissory thing because it was a friend of a friend of a friend that had a house that they would at least let us pay cash to live in, right? But the first day we move in, we find out there's no air conditioning. And this is, God, I want to say 2014 now. And I know I get the dates and the years mixed, but I try my best. You know what I mean? Yep. So we're there, and – My wife's pregnant again, you know, it's not her fault. It's my fault, of course. (laughs) And um, she's taking her first shower. And then all of a sudden the bath fills up with shit, like not a little bit, but a whole lot of bit. And from the sewer up to where we live, it's nothing but backed up sewage. And we got into the biggest, what do they call it? Um, Not civil case, but argument with our landlord at the time that she essentially called us freeloaders to my face. And I had to walk out and go for a nice, nice long walk because I just simply asked her to fix what's wrong. And, and ethically you need to fix legally. You have to fix, but there's no wiggle room because veterans like me are nothing but freeloaders. So of course, you know, I did, I took it on the chin, you know, we lived there for about a year, fixed our credit somehow and, uh, ended up, getting into a decent place, like a really, oh my God, decent place. Like really restored at the time I wasn't healthy. Not at all. I started drinking again, not heavily, but you know, enough. And uh was not doing good. Uh was doing the show. Um started telling people about, you know, my experience and, and just being really rigid about it because I mean, look at it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not gonna step away and say, oh yeah, nah, it's a stub toe. <laughs> no this is this is one of those where you look at it and you go well well who are your real friends in life right and i i did that while i was at the new house and this is in 2015 now and I started really doing some soul searching like just real solid soul searching not like thinking about it not looking at the bible not questioning it and going oh you know i i don't know about this this moses guy it doesn't sound real you know <laughs> no but really looking at it and going yeah, to me, it just sounds like people were really hating on Moses. And for some reason, he had the, the whole right idea the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it really helped me stick to my guns. And I was looking, of course, scripture. I was talking to friends, you know, meditating, doing everything and anything you can look up online to try and help. You know, the psyche, uh, state of well-being, health, etc. Which for veteran service organizations are making what promises and how can I essentially debunk it and prove that they're lying and just taking money from folks that actually are compassionate and caring? And, uh, you know, gotten a lot of uh, not not in trouble, but I stirred a lot of shit in people. And uh, essentially, nobody wanted to be my friend. You know, I'm like, cool. They're like, I don't need friends right now, bro. I, I need brothers and sisters to show up and see what I'm looking at so we can start working on it so other people don't fall in the same gap that I did because I almost plugged myself. I don't know how many times I almost hung myself. I don't know how many times if, if you're asking me the type of pills and everything they were giving me, I don't see how I'm alive. You know, it's just really bad all around. And, and when I talked to my wife about it, she was like, well, you know, you seem like you're mad. And I'm like, I know I seem like I'm mad, but look at what happened. She goes, but nobody's gonna listen to you if you're mad. And I go, that's true. That That's a very good point. That's valid. <clears throat> so I started working on it. I started developing more the comedic approach and the sense of humor and uh, doing more shows towards uh, looking at it in a positive light. And sure enough, my perspective started shifting. Like, it was slow as hell, but it started shifting. And instead of just sitting there being a mope person, I started getting my hopes back. You know, like, even though this is who I am, branded may it be. It doesn't make the rest of my life until I choose that it does. And, of course, you know, there's scripture, tons of stuff you can look at, whatever religion you're in. And that's really why I found where I found where I'm at, simply because I just gave it up to God and Jesus Christ and said, hey, bro. Hey, Dad, what's up, man? Like, hey, your kid over here, (laughs) struggling, clearly. But, P.S., I'm not going to give up. I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm plum retard towards that. And, uh, if we can't figure that out now, at least I can say that I've accepted that in my life. Right. Um, I may not be on the right track, but, uh, you know, good old dad, if you want to just smack me in the face or something, I'll listen. And sure enough, you know, I, I started paying attention to the, to the softer things in life and, meditating more and praying more and reading more and not just looking at the scripture, but studying it and looking at it and reflecting back on my life and trying to see where it goes and, and how this works out and why this dude seems to be, um, what's the word, drawn to me or I drawn to them or why is this uh, lady talking about this, talking about that? Why am I drawn to her? Like, why, why do we talk about this stuff? Like, why are we talking now, right? Mm-hmm. And, it just started making more and more sense to me. Like it doesn't make it better. Okay. It doesn't take the darkness away, you know, especially like if we were to look at it like a day and night time, we still have 24 hours, but you know, the moon has its time. The sun has it's, and it really helped started painting a better path for compartmentalization. Now I'm not saying it's 100% yet. Hell no. What I'm saying is after eight years, I'm kind of getting it to where I'm not, Uh, what's the word emotionally charged a hundred percent of the time where if you piss me off, you you know, I'm not going to look at you and say, you know, how dare you, or this, that, and the other, and and load, you know, simply because of this, the, the microaggressions that we go through every day. Um, I'm not triggered essentially I'm triggered, but I don't respond to this trigger. You know, it's, it's very, it's very enlightening how it's, how it's broke down because say, right when it was going down, like if my chain of command even looked at me wrong, like eh, they knew it was going on in my mind. Right. Like (laughs) it wasn't comfortable for anybody in the room. (laughs) And even though I learned from that, like I still feel bad or uh, guilty or negative about even having that aggression and that um, depression, those, those senses of uh, rejection and denial, uh, isolation. And now I go forward and I tell people like, you know, all that stuff, all that stuff you feel is real. You're allowed to feel that, okay? But you can also choose not to. You can you can choose a lot of different things in your life. You can have a trigger. You can be terrified. You can have that gut reaction that you're going to literally poop yourself. And say you do, right? Let's say you do poop yourself. You, you can make it a big deal, or you can just shake that thing down your leg and kick it right into a hole. You know what I mean? Either way. You could either move forward or not, and that's where I really, really figured it out. Like, hey, this suffering, this this pain, uh, the mentality, uh, the darkness, the depression, the nightmares, the the intrusive thoughts, the the fricking anxiety, the fear, the the terror, all that crap ain't going to go anywhere. And just yesterday, my me and my Corman buddy Tommy Chase were talking about it. He does some podcasts, great podcasts, and uh, he does one, uh, the, the Warriors War on Healing. Great stuff. And we were talking exactly like what we're talking about now. You could either turn to it and accept it, you know, and just say, cool, I have anxiety, bro. Like, it sucks. It sucks so bad. But it's me. It's cool. It's totally all right. Like, I have blonde hair. I have red hair. I have black hair. It's you. It's a part of you, part of your story, part of your experience. And hopefully, you know, through through time and understanding, people at least close enough, like my family my friends, uh, my my listeners, you know, my supporters can understand that even though I went through that phase of being really like, ah, oh, it's you, it's you doing, it's you doing, it's you all, oh, wait a minute. I realized, no, it's nobody really doing it except circumstance and perception. Now, here in my house here in Valley Center, you know, eight years later from when I was like literally, you know, hanging from a freaking noose and going, I don't know if this is going to work out because my neck's hurting, this rope's burning a little bit. Um, I promise you this, I'll never kill myself simply because of that perspective of suffering because I learned that in that suffering, in those darknesses, in those, those moments of just pure, unadulterated destruction and mayhem, which is war, if it doesn't leave you or you leave it, it's going to consume you regardless of what you hope. And no matter what you think, the time is up to you whenever you choose to take that armor off and say no i'm good like (laughs) god's got it like (laughs) i mean as much as i can try and figure it out it's never going to happen but i can definitely figure out what i can do for my sons i can figure out what i can do for my wife i can figure out what i could do on the podcast you know with you sean or you know with my pup or whatever else you know i can get a horse and try and figure out how to ride that i could definitely be in control of that i might not be able to be in control of helping you know those children that were in Iraq you know clearly we talked about the beginning of the story in 2006 I'll never be able to go back and make sure that they're good still right and that's a part of the depression and anxiety and fear is hoping that the lives that we did save weren't destroyed simply because of our inaction which would be between 2008 and just recently where we found out that Iraq had taking over again and essentially removed ISIS strongholds. So to me personally, yeah, you know, the story is is a big one. It's a long one. It's a scary one. It's, it's, it's suffering. It's pain. It's, it's, it's also beauty. Like I had two kids throughout this whole thing. And to me, my son's being born on the 21st of December, right? Good luck charm. And then my other son being born on veterans day, 11, 11, 2014. Mm -hmm. and, as he's being born, the young lady that is uh, helping my doc, the doctor, you know, my doctor, I say my doctor, but my wife's doctor <laughs> get the baby out, you know, and it's like this beautiful moment and 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 everything's happening. And out of nowhere, I see this lady's hand and on her wrist is uh, um, one of those bracelets, the metal bracelets that everybody knows now is like a memorial to somebody that they've lost or somebody that they know that, that they've lost. And I look down and it says SO2, uh, such and such. And I look at her and I say, hey, you know, what, what what is that? And she goes, oh, it was my fiance. He died during his deployment as being a Navy SEAL. And, you know, yada, 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 yada. And I'm looking at the dates and I'm looking at everything. And I'm just like, wow, you know, this is Veterans Day. Like my son is being born. And the only thing I'm paying attention to is this lady's loss, like, I, of course, I wanted to cry. Of course, I wanted to hug her, and I did. You know, I thanked her for helping me and my family and everything. Gave her my contact information for the show and everything. And I was just like, "Wow!" You know, like not only is this a beautiful day that I I get to go home with my son because nothing was complicated with him when he was born. Adric, there was a bunch of complications. His PDA didn't close, and all that great stuff. And of course, you know, uh, things happened. You know, I reached out to God that day and stuff. It was great, you know, because he was born at Mercy Scripps Hospital here in San Diego. So that there's a there's a church right down there. <laughs> so I'm sitting there praying and all those things that, that have happened in the past just kind of really dialed in for me. Like, even though now, A, I'm not going to sit back and say it's not traumatic and I'm not going to say, dude, I still have my days where I'm like sitting around going, shit, you know? It, it, it's kind of like a bull ride. But at the same time, i know i held on for eight seconds so i'm gonna go get my rodeo hat you know what i mean mm-hmm. to me that's what life's about if you if you hold on throughout the craziness you know i love surfing i love snowboarding i love all those crazy activities haven't been able to do them in years no because i i go ahead i beat myself up to the point where i can't get up and and then i try to fix it up from there but if other men and women are doing that too then why am i doing it alone right why am i why am i sitting here going like Shh, I'm, I'm the reason why we can't stop isis well that sounds really fucking selfish right <laughs> you think you're the solution to all the problems uh, come on man no um maybe you could be a part of it though maybe if you you know reach out and talk to people and say hey this is my story this is what i went through It's crazy it's fun it's fun it's crazy it's ups and downs you know it's like a a good audio system it has its bass and it has its treble you know but uh if i could do one thing and go back in time and stop certain people from killing themselves you know yeah that would be wonderful i wish if i can do it now that's essentially what we're doing talking on podcasts putting our stories out there is in the future somebody might be listening to this and going well you know hey this dude he just didn't give up it wasn't that he didn't try it wasn't that he didn't think he needed to die it wasn't that he didn't blame himself it wasn't that everybody blamed him it wasn't that everything literally went the wrong way it was that all happened and he just didn't give up and i'm like yeah like i mean i'm actually that retarded where you can tell me Hey, nobody's ever done this before. But if you hold on, I promise you, it's going to be worth it. And I'll be like, okay, gotcha. I'm just gonna, just gonna keep holding this here, and uh, we'll hope the best works out. And that's kind of the long and short of it all, man. You know, it was a, it was a ride. It Still is a ride, day in and day out. Uh, my wife, you know, I, I I I praise people that help others. And I I recommend if anybody has never heard of the Veterans Affairs Home Care Provider Program, look it up. If you're helping your husband or your kid or whatever your circumstances are, or your wife, actually, there's even male care providers on the program, look into it because the work that you do is is not going unrecognized. And there's people out there that want to make sure that you're taking care of, both of you are. And programs like the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, they follow us on Twitter. Um, they're doing great things with, you know, celebrity you know attention, endorsement, Ryan Felipe, uh, Tom Hanks. Um, they're doing great programs. It's more awareness. So I tell everybody with a grain of salt, look into it, check it out, see what it can do for you. You know, if it's something, if it's nothing, hey, at least, you know, things are like that out there. And maybe there's somebody out there that might be beneficial of it on that program. And it, I think they're opening the program up to, uh, even veteran, not vet, Vietnam era veterans as well. Uh, right now, I think it's just OIF, OEF. Uh, I'm not too positive on that, but either way, if, if your family's struggling, uh, because of your workload to help that veteran, these programs are dedicated to helping you. And that's what I just, I feel is just amazing because without my wife, I don't think I would be alive for sure. When she, if she didn't tell me to stop drinking, I would have drunk myself into a bottle years ago. If she didn't tell me, Hey, uh, you, you got to tell them what's wrong with you. Don't be afraid. Um, I would have been very much afraid and I would never have told my chain of command anything because that's what I was used to doing. You know, I'll suck it up. I'll do my job. I'll make sure, you know, everybody gets taken care of. And then when it's my turn to go, I'm just gonna go right underneath the little tree, listen to some music and, there we go. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know a corpsman that hasn't thought about their own death and how they want to go out. You know, if if you take your time and you run through the patients that you've actually been there with and for, you know, everybody, we spend our our lives thinking about how we're going to live and we don't ever really think about how we want to die, you know? And and I think that even though it's a negative connotation to say, I don't want to be in a hospital, where my family may or may not be able to spend time with me, regardless of what it is, okay, whatever is going down, that's literally all I want, you know, even if it's suffering, even if it's dying slow or being on 160 milligrams at morphine and then the doctor telling you you need to carry this shot around because you can overdose at any point in time. And I'm like, great, <laughs> wonderful. Um, how can I play with my kids more? Can you get me stuff that does that? Oh, no, you know, because there's no hope as far as Western medicine. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe I need to look at some Chinese mouth food. Hey, Eastern Medicine, what you guys got? Oh, we got ginseng. Try that ginseng. Okay. We got green tea. Try that green tea. Okay. We got turmeric. Awesome. Try that turmeric. It helps cure tumors. Oh, that's interesting, right? So all these homeopathic types of stuff. All these naturopathic medicines that even the Bible talks about with the ointment and the healing oils and all the great stuff, or even if it's just talking to people and saying, Man, I'm struggling, what's that book say you've been reading all your life, Christian? Uh it says follow Jesus and read some stuff and and, and actually, you know, discern it and uh think about it and then apply it to your life, not just go around and talk about it or or judge people because they're not perfect or think that you got it figured out. And that's really where I think when I was a young Christian, right? And then when you had this conversation, Uh, when I was a younger Christian, I, I knew it, I got it. I never was that kid that treated things or people negatively because my dad taught me at a very young age, dude, this is it. Like you either get it or you don't, but this is it. And Every other thing is still talking about this thing. So if you're if you're Hindu or if you're Muslim or if you're Arab or whatever the hell it is and you're talking about this thing that this guy is also talking about, y'all talking about the same thing. So <laughs> I mean whoo. So yeah. And that was me and my dad's talk about religion when I was a young man because he was raised Catholic. He went out to a Mormon college, learned some good stuff. About John Smith, I guess. I don't know. Came back to California, had me with my mom. You know, there we are. Boom. Into this world. Five years later, he's telling me about just straight up Jesus Christ and God, man. Like they live in your heart. We don't know how to prove it scientifically. Okay. But what we can say is go ahead and live some life. <laughs> and then we'll have that conversation again. And we'll see exactly how you look at it. Right. And I always tell people you could either believe in God or not. But if, if if I can convince anybody to just look at something more and or more intrinsically or within its nuances and in the analogy, just like how we look at movies and other books we think critically of, right we don't just go, oh yeah you know Tom Hanks is he literally he knows the da Vinci code literally it's there's right here in his book and movie Tom Hanks a genius no, that's not the way stories work out yeah, we think intrinsically about interpretation and experience but like i said earlier everybody was watching moses build this gorgeous ship going weirdo but when the floods happened, okay what happened all right well people say well the floods never did happen all right all right cool let's let's move up a few years then huh what about these floods in texas right (laughs) hey that just happened this year how about the fires in california (laughs) yeah happened last week How many people have been telling people to fix that crap that started that fire? Or how many people have been talking about the levees and the dams and the problems in the flood areas? Well, now we're starting to get a conversation going, but it makes people feel really uncomfortable. And I go, so you got historical context, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ talks about the intrinsicness of both spirit, mind, and body. Yeah, okay, great. If you were to actually just sit down and read it and be in suffering and look at twelve Luke twelve twenty two, if you just if you're in the depth of suffering and you're like man, my fingers on this trigger, bro, oh man, I, I'm not gonna do this, but I might do this. I'm gonna uh look at Luke twelve twenty two and then stop and just think. Well, what does Luke twelve twenty two say? Don't worry about your life. <laughs> no, you playing right? That's what it says. Yup. And then when you read it even more, it says, consider the raven. Like, does the raven have, like, store shed and stuff? No. Silly ravens just fly around and stuff, dude. Duh. Or how about the the grass and the daisy that grows and toils in the wind? Is not King David and Solomon less dressed as this daisy just twirling in the wind? Well, yeah, because that daisy's, like, gorgeous, man. Look at it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So then why the hell are you, trying, why are you tripping up, bro? I mean, if you, right, you're a smart guy. You're great. Yeah, yeah. You know how to, like, do stuff? Yeah. You can't even add one minute to your life if you tried, bro. Okay, yeah, that's true. I get that because I seemed it. I seen it in Iraq. I seen it in San Diego hospitals. I seen it in the past eight years. 8,000 veterans a freaking year just blowing their brains out, essentially. Yeah, I to it. That nobody can add a second to their life. Then why are you... Why are you sitting here thinking about it? Well, I don't know. <clears throat> I still don't know. But that, if if anybody was like, oh, suffering, all oh, this. Well, think of that. Like, if, if you're going to suffer, well, at least suffer around people that are also suffering. If you're going to suffer, suffer with people that are also looking to fix it. Or at least try to understand it better. Don't isolate yourself to where your entire life, your entire ecosystem of existence becomes suffering. Because you'll never make it out alive, and if you do, maybe you should take another look at that suffering, and reconsider it instead of calling it suffering. Call it lessons, or uh, some form of experience that leads to understanding. And then look back at that love, twelve twenty-two. Look look at that serenity, pair. You know, accept this world as it is, and try your best. I mean, essentially, that's all we we could ever do. But if if you try to apply it, not everybody puts themselves in those adverse circumstances to become something of where we can understand each other. So if I, when I was homeless, if I were to talk to another person that's never been homeless, they'd be like, well, you, you technically weren't homeless. You were floating on your mom's couch. Well, yeah, but I didn't have a home. My wife was living in Mexico. My kids were going back and forth. That's homeless. I looked it up in the dictionary. Every bread and service organization said this is what homeless is. Just because we weren't on a street, like under a freaking bridge, that doesn't mean. And I think that's the biggest problem with homelessness is because until you are on the street, until you do look like a bum, people don't care to help you end that street in that path that they know you're on. Why? Because you're not on the street yet. How much sense does that make if a heroin addict, right, is you know they're a heroin addict. Why are you waiting until they overdose? Why are you waiting until somebody blows their head out? Why are you waiting until adolescents tell you tell you or the principal, "Hey, I'm thinking about killing myself because of cyberbullying"? Why are we waiting? That doesn't make any sense. In traffic, why do we wait to slow down until the car right in front of us is just five feet? It doesn't make any sense. Or, hey, you know, we're running out of running out of water here in California. Why are we waiting to learn how to desalinate water? Because we're literally right next to an ocean. It doesn't make any sense. And then throwing all that biblical stuff, and then it does. It starts making a lot of sense.
0: I, <clears throat> I want to say I love you, Joad. I, I love you too, bro. I just want to tell you that, you know, that's, I, I, I'm, I'm very seldom am I, am I short for words. People that know me know that I love to talk, and I'm... I'm so overwhelmed right now. I just want to first tell you that I, I love you. We Joe and I have never met. I want to put something in context real quick. Joe and I had one conversation before this one, and I didn't know a ounce of the story he just told. I didn't know any of that, none. And and for me right now, uh, if if this is if, if I'm being opportunistic, I apologize, but I just feel like this is a bit, this is like a God moment for me right now. This is one of those chill things, you know. This y- your story was. It was, it was, beautiful and it's suffering and, and I don't want to take anything more than that. If you're don't listen to anything, I have to say, rewind this. If you want to go back and listen to everything he just said again and listen to it again and again and again. And I think it, it is just, I, I, when I see you, whenever we meet, I'm going to give you a big hug, man. And just tell you that I love you. And I think that you're, um, I, I kind of don't, I don't want to say anything. I it's, it's like, I don't want to touch this, this thing you just talked about. And I just want less of me and more of what you just said. And, um, so I just want to kind of leave it at that. One of the things that we Thank do... Thank you so much, man.
1: That's very, very humbling, and I appreciate it, because it's not every day that I even talk about this stuff, because even with my show, I tried... It like what we were talking about, of course, pre-show, not to let anybody on, on the secret about shows. You know, there's pre-show, post-show, yeah. man. And We
0: We had a little <laughs> conversation before we started this, yeah.
1: Exactly, but, you know, not yeah. to... Not to to re- reiterate or rehash or anything, but I don't really talk about myself as much as people or at least I let people on. No. I'm mostly the devil's advocate, trying to poke and prod and get people to talk about things and you know be the host, right? So uh, if you were to ask me, is this even in on anywhere, even my own show where it's all in one shot, like what we just did? No, like not at all. I'm not that kind of person, and, and I hope, you know, people can hear it, in, at least in the story, or in, eventually, either on the show or both, it's about us as a collective community, our, 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 our people, you know, our, our veterans, our military, our, our community, our society as Americans is really dependent upon the whole psychology of why and what are we doing. And, and if we don't even sit back and go, you know, these cell phones, as much as we got this wonderful moment and people take the opportunity to listen and we have the internet and all this great stuff, if we don't ever take the time to put it in its place and use it as a tool, it becomes over-consuming. And I think that that's, that's where in suffering we can learn. I don't think that one man or another has the right to say he does not deserve or she or he deserves suffering over this or that or the other. But I do think that we do that instinctively to the point where even in the gospel, not the gospel, but necessarily in our houses and in our, in our places of worship on every single religious people, we've gotten to a point where we're more about the technicality of terms. We're more about the proof of story. We're more about the things that even Jesus said, hey, there's you, you can go looking for it. Anything you find that proves my father's existence is probably there to try and trick you. And you could read it, you could see it, you can feel it in the world, right? And I go, yeah, you know, but man, I just wish that there would be some way to go. As much as this shit hurts, as much as that, that story, that life that I lived is painful, still is painful, it, it, it it's worth something that I think is more valuable than gold. Because to mm-hmm. me, if 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 I'm able to go and say, Hey, look, bro your wife left you, or, hey, bro, your husband left you, or, hey, uh, chick, your wife left whatever combination of the two, if you're on that path of negativity, if you're on that path of, man, I'm going to freaking end it, like, I'm going to take all these pills, you know, I'm not worth a crap, and the reason why I, I don't have as much fear as I did a few months ago was because I lost a friend, you know, it was ve- it's very personal to me, and he took his life, even though I I talked to him about the show. I talked to him about, you know, things and choices and resources, and I showed him this stuff. He still made that decision for himself. And even though that's painful, I still have to not only accept, but appreciate the fact that he, hopefully, maybe not now, I don't know how this works, but his suffering is ended and that he's welcome no matter what his decisions were, because I understand that when, when we do stuff in life, well, there's, there's two things that are happening. And I love the story of Adam and, and Eve, right? Because of the story of influence. If there's an influence other than ourselves, is it really yourself causing you this suffering? Is it really you, the self, that is causing you to make this decision? And with that, I think we can find why people are leaping towards this decisiveness of suicide. Like even adolescents, poor kids... You know, they feel so isolated and, and beaten that 10-year-olds and 13-year-olds are being discovered hung in their family homes. And you're going, well, one, how the hell did this kid get this thought in their head? Two, how do we stop that immediately? Because if we can't stop that in children, the things that are innocent, the things that are pure, Right we got no hope for adults. Okay. (laughs) That's that's just some sense of humor and also actuality. You know what I mean? I'm not the best of guys. You know, I have my mistakes. I've like my drinkingness, all that drunkenness, all that, that partying, the debauchery. I'm not the greatest, but I can tell you what, I found enough tools to go back and hopefully teach these young kids that, dude, even if, even if it's a circumstance where your mom and dad are beating you and you're like, this is the only way out. Or if you're like, I hate telling the story, but it happens so infrequently in the United States nowadays and with technology. I don't think it should exist, but child sex slave trafficking, like if a kid feels like that's the only way out, I, I just, I, it eats me up. It tears me up. And I know that you guys, you told me you guys just did another show about the me too stuff. And I'm like, dude, I think it's a great time to be not only in entertainment, right. But in the content creating industry, because all these stories, all these, all these people deserve to take that and make something of it. Because to me, that's what entertainment is. I know that sounds like it's degrading, right? But no, no. it's, it's, it's the key to storytelling. It's the, it's the reason why Harry Potter was so intriguing, because there's this depth to this character. And I think that, you know, with art, um, uh, a gentleman named Adam Driver, Adam Driver, the guy that's in Star Wars, right? He was a prior Marine. Um, yeah. He started a nonprofit. Kylo, he specific-
0: Kylo Ren guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kylo Ren,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's how probably most people know. <laughs> loose
0: guy, yeah. They don't have real names. They have
1: their stage. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. He's really a Star Wars guy. No, no baloney. <laughs> that's the reason why the Marine Corps love him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he started a nonprofit specifically, not high-end, you know, in the industry where you're getting lights and cameras and action and directors, but how to tell a story. And I think that more and more veterans and more and more people when they reflect, and of course, you know, I recommend scripture. Why? Because you're not looking at it in just in the context of what we've seen in, in our lifetimes. We're looking at it in the context of life, okay, in actuality. Suffering's gonna occur, pain's gonna happen, things are not gonna go your way, and you're probably gonna question God and everything around you throughout it all. I know I did, okay. And I know that if, you, if you're if you supposed to at least come to some understanding that you don't need to be in control of every aspect of your life, that that thing we call a Bible or a book or scripture or influence or whatever you want to call, if the pot, if that influence helps you not make a negative decision, a, a lifelong decision, hold on to it long enough until you question it again. And then look at it. Why do you have these questions? Why is this? If it got you just a little bit further the last time, why are you questioning this? Well, maybe it's a good reason why. And maybe you need to go out and look at things in the world. And that's what adventuring is about. That's where all this wonder of trees and exotic animals and all this wondrous things that in my eyes, yes, God created. Do I know how to explain that? No, but nobody else does. So so in my eyes, Hey, go out and enjoy the adventure as long as we have, because I guarantee you it's going to be shorter than what you want it to be, for sure. Okay? But it's also going to be long enough, hopefully, that you at least enjoyed it while you were here.
0: So so I kinda of lied before, you know, there there's there is there's a mountain of things that I would love to say to everything that you've said from the very, very beginning, but I, I think you you, you you know you're leading with your heart ultimately if you've just listened to what he said, and you haven't figured out by now at the end of the day what's what's motivating people like Joey and have from the very beginning of the story is this love and this service for others and that and that it's a crying out almost not only to self introspection of that part of that journey but taking others with you and not not just being about you but bringing people together and so my, my hope out there in, in, in this context is if you're listening to what he has to say and you and you don't and you're not a veteran or you're not somebody who's suffering to that degree whether even it's all kinds of suffering you mentioned it way back you know post-traumatic stress outside of just combat you can have that I have a friend of mine who lost his son uh, to, a, to a blood disorder when he was 10 and he was he has been medically discharged and he's suffering from post-traumatic stress as a result of that and he never served a day in the military. Trauma and stress happens and people go through that and, 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 and to his point, not isolating them, or not waiting until they hit some level of suffering that you now decide is worth the time it takes to have a conversation about it. And, 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 there, and maybe a little bit, there's an opportunity here possibly to kind of help bring the other side to the table as well. If you're the Joey in the story, if the world is coming down on your head and you feel like there's no way out, as many, I'm trying to think of the nice way to say, as many people, there are like the the people that were in the hotels there who I'd love to have a conversation with um running around a dog and the weight limit and all all this other nonsense,
1: looking for the technicality right yeah
0: right, but there are others that aren't and and don't into and, and he showed you anything in that context it was up against one wall up against another wall that at the end of the day getting angry and violent and everything else isn't really going to help I know it's our tendency it's mine it's everybody's that, that you, you kind of want to have that justice, instant justice, as you said, of just punching somebody right in the face and just yeah, you know that, that release and like kind of that finality of it, but at the end of the it, it, when it comes down to it, that's, that's not going to really help to, to be fair. And, I, and, and how people deal with that, I don't have the formula. don't don't ask me, but I think that believing and having the hope that there are somebody out there to talk to, find somebody that you think you can have a conversation with, and especially if it's something that you need help with. Find, try to find somebody somewhere in your circle that 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 is willing to have a conversation with you, and let both ends of the table kind of help bring each other to it, and learn and understand around that. Because it is a, it is a it's a highly complex. I mean, I mean that that story, Joey, just man, I I just I'm just so grateful that your that your willingness and your openness to come here and share that. I think that I'm so humbled as well to know that this story, to your point, uh, was told first, or at least completely in this context here. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we cherish that, and we want to honor that.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for the time. I mean, you know, I, I truly appreciate, it and I'm always humbled by people just being interested. Not just in the in, in the story. The story is great. Okay, don't get me wrong. Okay, I like storytelling. I like stories, like but in the lessons that are applicable to everybody else. You know, that's that's essentially why. You know, I felt like the, the, not the need, but the urge to just go with the flow right now and just be like, yeah, man, like, cool. You know, this is what's up. Like, this is the way it shakes. You know, I'm not abrasive anymore. I'm not judgmental anymore towards the things that, that shook down the way they did. What I can say is there's definitely, definitely, definitely ways to improve it.
0: So so I I (laughs) want to say, I want to say something to that. I, I think over and over and over and over again in your story, there was a level of, you could call it justification for you to be abrasive and to be angry, and not just angry, but just downright hurt, and downright mm-hmm. just, I mean, upset, truly upset. It's so many different levels of that, and especially somebody who's coming from the, the military. One thing that stood out to me that, that really kind of got me was, in, in our world, stolen valor and misrepresenting something that you did is a, is a huge deal, one of the biggest deals ever. And there's nonprofits that I know about there that, are, that were specifically founded on the idea of calling people out that, that did not serve and did not do what they say they did. That's a big, big deal to us to have, to have, but to flip that and to imagine for a moment, folks, that you did do it. And now this computer tells you that you didn't. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the thing that we, we know this, and I want to put this out there as well. This, if, this is kind of important to me for some reason, and I'm thinking about Chris Kyle and some of the stuff that was coming out d two fourteens in the military. look y'all, if you think everything's perfect on both if you think it's all if its just because it comes out of a computer that that's it and it tells the story or even that medals or even any of that stuff, you know this, does it tell the complete story of everything that ever happened even even if it was uh, you know done well or managed well, bro, you know this as well as I do that it never tells the whole story
1: ever exactly. See, and that's the thing, though. I think that a lot of people, like uh, Mr. Anthony Anderson, he does the, the exactly what you're talking about, Stoller Valor. Uh, he does a large Facebook group, and I think he even has a website, and he's doing great things. And even the method that he uses, man, it's fuck, it's awesome. But like what you're saying, it's not about you know even the guys that actually did it. And when we actually talk, and and people actually talk about even even now, like uh, uh, when we started the show, Doc Jacobs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if you were to have a conversation about Doc Jacobs about what happened when he was in, when he was deployed and he got hurt, and compare a lot of other things that have occurred in uh, not just naval history but military history, the things that he, as a young man, and I always separate it not as a friend, okay, if he's a friend and a brother and I'll die for the dude, but separate, okay, as an individual man that has served for the United States military, I tell him and I tell everybody I meet. The fact that he's not walking around with the Medal of Honor, it's like, it kind of tells me that, dude, it's, come on, okay? If it didn't happen in front of an officer during Vietnam, most of those guys, you know, they didn't get decorated, okay? The story doesn't stop, okay? simply (laughs) because the year is 2017, and it's really easier, you know, to to finger the freaking internet with your thumb. That doesn't mean the systems that are utilized in the military are mirroring. The technological advancements that we currently have. Okay. <laughs> there, there was a.
0: Do you ever read the uh, the Chicken Soup for the Soul books? I, I my bu- old Navy buddy of mine, my buddy B- uh, Milton Beadle and I used to trade them out way back in the day when on my ship. And I read the Veterans one recently, and it recouped the thing with him and I. But there was a story in there, and it was called "We Don't Give Medals for That." And basically, the, the short version is th- this: like hardened New York uh, city guy who only cared about himself in this one particular engagement literally saved this young vietnamese girl's life like 6 year old girl pulled her out of the out, out, out of the shit and and then some ceo some officer somewhere gave him a hard time and said you know we don't give medals for stuff like that and and it kind of reminds me of that story of the disc, that hap- that guy did that he saved a person's life right and we, and and so he did. He never even got so much as a you know a Gee Dunk Nam medal or a, you know just a throwaway that that we have out there and put a put a V on it or you know what I mean. And so exactly. And so just be so it, it don't limit. So when you talk to people, and I, I want try, try to say if we can flip this a little bit. So when you're having conversations with the people, to to Joey's point, and you're talking about suffering this is another context of this whole thing is trying to put real value on whether or not that person is actually going through something difficult. Because if you try to rank and file suffering, if you try to create an opportunity that says, well, this is where the line is, or this is real suffering and this is not, this is a problem. This is not, there's no winner in terms of who suffered more. Exactly. And, And if you'd had, it's not like there was a line. And if you'd have suffered one more tragedy or if your son had, both sons had been in the, you know, pick you when they were born, then all of a sudden now, joy qualifies as somebody who's suffering. We're all suffering and we're all going through this, but, but if you take anything away from what joy said, uh, the perseverance and the endurance, and, 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 and in lieu of all that, it almost reminds me of Paul and his letters, that in, in the prison, you, you know, 2,000 years ago, you're riding with such joy and such, uh, such a positive outlook on life, and if you can take that from there and then know that you can go through it, and it's not denying the suffering at all or saying it doesn't happen, but what are you ultimately going to do with it? And so, Hey man, look, we, we can talk for a long, long time and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit after this. Uh, but let's, uh, one of the things I do, I do want to do this I want, I, in all the episodes with a prayer. And I want to know if you, if you join me with that and then we'll wrap it up. And then, sure. um, you know, look, I, there's a part of me that I think this, this deserves a whole nother episode to kind of just, I'd love to break down a lot of stuff that you said, because <laughs> there's a lot of things in there. And um, so I think this is a great start. If it, hopefully this is uh well, not hopefully. <clears throat> I know, as well as I'm sitting here, that this, this did exactly what uh, God had put on my heart in terms of why I asked you, and so if, uh, I, I cannot, uh, I cannot imagine that the. I think this is going to do some stuff for some people out there, and rightfully so, and give people some hope and give people some motivation and and some perspective. And uh, man, I'll, I just I'm very humble. So let's. If you don't mind, Joey, I'm going to pray us out.
1: Got you. All Go ahead. Right, sure thing. All
0: right, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're just. Uh, uh, just a, a uh, such a huge dose of humility with all this uh, and just grace that that came from joy story and what he's done and to see his hand or to see your hand on him and to see and to hear it in his and in his story in his voice and all the things that he's done and and the road that he took to get here to where he is today and that the road's not over and that that's Part of it that, that you tell us it's an ongoing thing that there's no, and even in the the mysteries we call it in the Bible and the stories that it's never a definitive X Y Z that it's set that way because life is not a definitive thing. Life is not a straight line. It's not set up, and it doesn't go that way, and that that's okay, and that when we and that that, that we're here for each other, and that ultimately coming to the table and coming bringing anybody to these tables, tables out in the out in the world, the things that are going to happen from this. Go there with a loving heart first and try to understand and listen to both sides and listen to any other side. There's so many aspects of Joy's story that you can take out and, and use in just an everyday context. And I ask that you do that. I ask that ultimately, I think something is very dear to, to Joey and I and to others. If you're one of those and you're suffering and you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, this is it. Whether you're a combat veteran or a kid dealing with their sexuality or just or distress, any, if, it, if you feel like it's overwhelming, listen to the words that he said that it's not, don't quit don't don't do that don't don't give up there is there is a hope you can and you will endure and you can get through this and it's not that it's and i'm not saying you deserve it nobody deserves this stuff but what you do with it is is if, if i can say that if you can give me that opportunity without sounding like a, a jerk lord i just ask that you let those words don't listen to my words anymore give up on my words and go back and listen to joy's story i'm just so grateful for this opportunity to the, the the ability to do this lord just so humbled that we were able to be a part of this and I just thank Joey for his opportunity to come on here and, and his openness. And I just, uh, we're just love you, Lord. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign this off. Um, again, man, thanks really, really just, this, this, just, this from the bottom of my heart, man, I appreciate it.
1: More than welcome.
0: All right, brother. All right. Thanks y'all. Um, I'm gonna leave stuff in the show notes. I'm not gonna do the typical sign out. I'm just going to take us off and, uh, Look, God bless everyone, and we'll talk to you later. Looking forward to the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Come to the Table podcast. As always, we hope our conversations inspire you to invite someone you know and love to the table to have an open, loving, and respectful discussion, maybe even a difficult one. If that happens, we'd be honored if you would contact us about it so we could share
1: it. Thanks again. And God bless everyone.